1: Good morning, beloved family. I'm so pleased to be with you. How are you? How is everything? I am fine. I'm trying to, we're still trying to get the internet and the camera. We still have work to do on this end to keep the program going live. So we're going to, and uh, God is good, and you are good because you have been wonderful supporters of Mother Miriam Live and the Station of the Cross, and I'm I'm just so grateful to all of you for your participation for your support for your love for god and for his one holy catholic and apostolic church i have wanted to read um, each one of bishop joseph strickland's letters as soon as they came out he made seven points in his first letter on august 22nd on the issues that are being discussed at the synod the synod on synodality and um, things that um, threaten our faith. Well, they don't threaten our faith. Um, They cause tremendous confusion. The faith, once delivered to the saints, cannot change. It's unchanging and it's unchangeable. But there are powers that be in the church. There's wheat and tares, and Jesus said, they will always be with us till the end of time that want to distort the truth or are under the erroneous impression or thought that truth develops, it does not. Um, Truth is truth and cannot change. Doctrine develops, um, but as Cardinal Henry uh, Newman wrote, um, it develops as the acorn develops into a huge tree. Um, and you can trace he showed in his book the development on christian doctrine he showed how you can trace the uh, a true development from the acorn uh, into the branches and you can even trace truth doctrine true doctrine from false from the branches back into the acorn and you can know what is a true and a false um uh outcome and so right now we are threatened by a um, magisterium and a hierarchy that thinks it's time to change the faith to keep up with modern society. And the fact is that um, if we do that, we do not care at all for souls. Sheep do not lead the shepherd. The shepherd leads the sheep. A three-year-old does not tell its parents, how to raise him. Um, And so um, it's very, very important, beloved, that we know our faith. And I'm behind in reading Bishop Strickland's letters, but I am going to read now the letter that he wrote on october 3rd he's written another one since then it's october uh, 16th today so there's going to be two more that we need to catch up to but this one he begins it's so so important beloved He begins my dear sons and daughters in christ as we continue to review important truths of our catholic faith i'm writing to you today to address the fifth truth in my pastoral letter of August 22nd, 2023, quote, sexual activity outside marriage is always gravely sinful and cannot be condoned, blessed, or deemed permissible by any authority inside the church, end quote. And he goes on now to expand upon that thought. He says human sexuality is a beautiful gift from God and is woven into the being of each man and each woman. Every person is created in the image of God, and all people, both married and single, are called to chastity and to live out God's divine plan for their lives. The chaste person maintains the integrity of the powers of life and love, the powers of life and love placed in him. This integrity ensures the unity of the person It is opposed to any behavior that would impair it. And the bishop just quoted the catechism of the Catholic Church uh, 2338. (laughs) God's plan for our sexual nature is this, that we abstain from sex before marriage, and that we are faithful to our partner within marriage, or if single, that we are celibate, not engaging in sexual relations. This is God's plan for us because he loves us so much and wants the best for us. And he has given us the awesome power to be participants with him in bringing forth new life. This is a tremendous gift, which also carries with it tremendous responsibilities. If this gift is misused, it can lead to much sorrow and human suffering we see that today don't we beloved even within marriage because the gift is misused even within marriage converse even between husband and wife it's misused love self-giving love is not understood conversely the bishop writes if this gift is used properly it leads to much joy and to strong and healthy families which build up society and bring glory to god Christian marriage is a sacrament in which God pours out his grace upon the married couple so that they may grow together so profoundly that the two become united together as a new single creation. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, And now he's quoting the Gospel of Mark. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate, Mark chapter 10. The husband and wife are called to a mutually exclusive union, open to the gift of new life, So just as they are no longer two, but one flesh, when the husband and wife come together in the conjugal embrace, they have the potential to bring forth new life, wherein the two of them quite literally have become one flesh in their offspring. God blessed them, Genesis chapter 1. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it the gift of human sexuality is to be lived within the bonds of marriage even if the couple is not able to bear children pope saint john paul ii stated regarding couples without children quote, you are no less loved by god your love for each other is complete and fruitful when it is open to others to the needs of the apostolate to the needs of the poor to the needs of orphans, to the needs of the world." End quote from St. Pope John Paul II. This basic truth of morality, that human sexuality is ordered toward a lifelong mutually exclusive union open to the gift of new life, must be recovered for the sake of humanity. The so-called sexual revolution that blossomed in the 1960s, has overtaken human society in devastating ways. Many have accused the Catholic Church of focusing too much on sexual morality. But if we look at our present landscape, it seems evident that we, the shepherds, have failed to focus enough on this gravely important issue. Instead of having an understanding of the importance of living a chaste life, humanity seems to be caught up in an anything goes mentality regarding sexual activity. Furthermore, rather than the focus being on God's creative plan for life through a man and woman in a committed and sacramental marriage open to children, the focus seems off it to be only about sexual pleasure even if it departs completely from God's plan and even if it erodes the dignity of the human person. This distorted understanding of our sexual nature, one in which human relationships are understood on a transactional level with a so-called hookup culture, widespread and easy divorce, Easy availability of contraception and abortion and deviant sexual practices seeks to reduce relationships to what one person can take, take, he says, not give. One person can take from another, denigrating the dignity and sanctity of the human person and leaving its participants feeling empty and unfulfilled. And I'll say in many cases, beloved, destroyed sexual sins are discussed and glorified are discussed and glorified even on social media as casually as though one were discussing the weather oh i agree wholeheartedly Whole, wholeheartedly with bishop speaking beloved my goodness um i wish you would go online and print this out and send it to everyone on your email list or your mail list or your whole family. It's so important. There's the music, dear ones, for our first break. We'll continue this when we return right after the break. And after the second break, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart whatsoever, toll free, 1 511 5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross. Com. We'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith filled priests? You can tune in to sermons for everyday living, every day, at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you.
2: I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. And by far the most transforming aspect of this experience was simply coming into the direct knowledge that God himself not only knew me by name, but had been paying attention to me as though I were the only creature he had ever created. That's The Simple Truth weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. This is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of Praying and Promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. The Catholic Church teaches that when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, we join the prayer of Christ Himself. It is the perfect sacrifice of praise that extends every Eucharistic celebration into the hours of the day to sanctify time in the whole range of human activity. To learn more, please visit us or go to liturgyofthehours.org.
0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at one 877 5483 or email her at mother at Cross.com.
3: We have to figure them out. The problem is that um, our new property is really out in the country where there's very poor Internet, Um, and uh, we just have to keep figuring out what to do about this. I'm so sorry. So we may do the rest of the program, not with video, but just with audio. I'm going to continue Bishop Joseph Strickland's letter from... um, Let me see now. It was... October 3rd, and his theme is the fifth point of his pastoral letter of August 22nd, which is sexual activity outside marriage is always gravely sinful and cannot be condoned, blessed, or deemed permissible by any authority inside the church. And I'll just say, beloved, that... um, If you're paying attention to what's going on at the Synod, uh, you see that that truth um, is uh, being attempted to be destroyed before our very eyes, That it cannot be. Uh, God is truth, and no matter what anyone says or concludes, if it opposes the truth of God and the truth given to the Church, uh, the faith once delivered to the saints, it is wrong. Okay. Let me see now. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm. I i do not remember. I'm. I'm looking for where I. Um, where I left off. Um, okay. This distorted understanding of our sexual nature—the understanding that anything goes. One in which human relationships are understood on a transactional level with the so-called, I'm repeating this paragraph here, a hookup a culture, widespread and easy divorce, easy availability of contraception and abortion and devial, deviant sexual practices seeks to reduce relationships to what one person can take from another. And I, I'm emphasizing the word tense because that's all... Um, Uh, Abhorrent and uh, every sexual practice outside of God's design is selfish and one takes. Where self-giving love is designed to give yourself fully to the other, not to take from the other. Denigrating the dignity and sanctity of the human person and leaving its participants feeling empty and unfulfilled. And I added to that just before the break in many cases, totally devastated. Sexual sins are discussed and glorified, even on social media, as casually as though one were discussing the weather. One of the necessary elements of recovering a healthy understanding of human sexuality is to regain an understanding of the fact that our sexual nature is a beautiful gift from God. The fact that God has created us male and female, and established a complementary, a complementarity between the sexes is truly one of God's most profound blessings. Pope St. John Paul II beautifully explained this in his teachings called The Theology of the Body, Human Love, and the Divine Plan. These teachings are a reflection of this profound gift and on the fact that human beings who are made in the image of God are made for self-giving love, not self-getting love. In an apostolic letter, St. John Paul II explained that man and woman exist not only side by side or together, but also exist mutually one for another, one for the other. And that's Pope John, St. John Paul II in Mulieris Dignitatum. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, and I'm going to say that, personally, beloved, I've heard presentations of Theology of the Body that make me cringe because the language has been so degraded in speaking of it. And, and they think they're teaching John Paul II's teaching with utterly degraded um, language. It's, it's, it's been awful sometimes. Bishop Strickland continues, the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, The intimate community of life and love, which constitutes the married state, has been established by the Creator and endowed by Him with its own proper laws. God Himself is the author of marriage. The vocation to marriage is written in the very nature of man and woman as they came from the hand of the Creator. Marriage is not a purely human institution despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries of different cultures and different social structures and spiritual attitudes. These differences should not cause us to forget its common and permanent characteristics. Although the dignity of this institution is not transparent everywhere with the same clarity some sense of the greatness of the matrimonial union exists in all cultures. Quoting the Catechism, Bishop Strickland says the well being of the individual person and of both human and Christian society is closely bound up with the healthy state of conjugal and family life. We must also reclaim the concept of covenant which is so prevalent throughout both the Old and New Testament. Simply put, a covenant is an exchange of persons. I am yours and you are mine and is an important part of the creation of a family unit. In marriage, the man and the woman give of themselves entirely to the other, being open to the begetting of a new life, pleasure, is a component of sexual relations, but it is not the only component. Sexual relations as designed and intended by God also entail openness to new life and a lifelong unbreakable bond between a man and a woman. If a couple, regardless of who they are, enter into a sexual relationship without intending that relationship to be faithful, Exclusive and open to new life, all of which is what the sacrament of matrimony is intended to foster, then they are engaging in only an imitation of true love, which is gravely sinful and which ultimately deviates from the happiness, joy, and fulfillment that God truly desires for His children. I'm going to comment here, beloved. I don't even say it's an imitation of true love. Um, Because true love wants what is right for the beloved. And if you have sexual relations outside of marriage, you are sending your partner to hell, including yourself. And that's not love on any scale. That is totally self-love. It's not love for the beloved. You would not engage in any sexual relationship with... uh, person you claim to love outside of marriage, knowing that it's a grave sin, and if you die in that night or that sleep, you will be in hell forever. There's nothing of love in that. There is only selfish desire that masquerades as love. I will continue now with Bishop Strickland's article. When the so-called sexual revelation began in the 1960s with a movement toward sexual expression no longer being confined to marriage. Many greeted it as a doorway to unfettered freedom. But what this freedom actually looked like was epidemics of sexual transmitted diseases, tens of millions of abortions, rampant pornography, increase in rape and child abuse and devastating effects on the family and marriage. And yet still we hear the cry. That the thing human beings really need is more freedom. And beloved, I want to comment here too. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The freedom and the free will God has given us is not freedom to do what we want. It's freedom to do what we ought. We have no freedom from the creator to do what we want. Only freedom to do and to choose what is right. Continuing with this Strickland's letter, it is estimated that over 40% of all couples in the U.S. now live together unwed, as opposed to being married. We are sure that we have made progress because we are now so free. However, most people misunderstand the true nature of freedom. As St. John Paul II stated so eloquently, quote, freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought, end quote. There, kind of a, I I guess I just said what he said. As our society moves further away from truth and from God's design for families, I'm sorry, hold on a moment. As our society moves further away from truth and from God's design for families, we will inevitably destroy the very foundation of the society in which we live. Many fail to see that if a society which is built on God's truth dies, individual freedoms will die along with it. The destruction of marriage and the family lead to the death of the society and even more profoundly to the loss of so many souls who participate in this self-destruction. This is why the Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Fatima, warned venerable sister Lucia, Lucia dos Santos, that the decisive battle between the kingdom of Christ and Satan will be over marriage and the family. As we discuss the extreme importance of marriage and the family, I would also like us to turn, Bishop Strickland says, to turn our attention to the most tragic fruit of the sexual revolution, which is abortion, the gravely serious sin of murdering our children. Abortion is the termination of a pregnancy by removal or expulsion of an embryo or fetus, that is, a living child from the uterus, resulting in the child's death. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of its existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person, among which is the inviolable right of every innocent being to life. End quote from the Catechism. And yet many demand the freedom of the allowed to abort their child. Of course, they one that's asking for the freedom to kill whomever you wish because they're inconvenient to you.
2: Are you looking for a simple, creative, and easy way to give to the Station of the Cross? Consider a transfer of stock to help us continue evangelizing our world over the airwaves through mobile devices and through our website if you are being called by god to donate through a transfer of stock from your brokerage account to ours please ask your broker to contact us at 1-877-888-6279 your broker will need to indicate the number of shares being transferred as well as the q number of those shares that's 1-877-888-6279 Thank you for considering a gift of stock to the Station of the Cross so that we can continue proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity.
1: The Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule for the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience.
0: I'm Debbie Giorgiani.
2: And I'm Adam Bly.
0: Join us for The Spirit World on the Station of the Cross. If we're really going to suffer, we really need to suffer here when we're in the church
2: militant phase, right? The most difficult part for the poor soul is that they had some amount of that beatific vision in their judgment. They know they're going to get back to God, but then they're separated from God. So that's kind of the worst part because that's a spiritual suffering.
0: The Spirit World, every Saturday at 11 a.m., right here on The Station of the Cross.
3: Um, I'm thrilled to be with you, and this is our half hour together. Um, and I'm—I would love to receive. I'm, I'm a little uh, choppy here because we i think we're going to be audio the rest of the program, dear ones. I'm so sorry about that. We just need to figure things out here. So. Um, uh, uh, well, if anyone out there, we have the most magnificent gentleman here who has set up our internet and everything else. But again, because we're so far out in the country, it's not reliable. So, uh, if any of you have any expertise or suggestions of what we might do, send a note to the Station of the Cross or to Mother at the Station of the Cross dot com. Um, Okay, so our toll-free number with anything on your heart is 1-877-511-5483, or again, you may email at mother at thestationacross.com. Um, <clears throat> we have an email from Sarah that we read on Friday, just before the weekend. Um, Sarah writes, Mother, I recently read a passage in a book by Father Charles Aminon, in which he wrote, Quote, leaving aside the most holy virgin, conceived without sin and St. John the Baptist sanctified in the womb of his mother, a multitude of other saints have led quite celestial lives here on earth, closely united to God without any coarse, C-O-A-R-S-E, coarse desire, or trace of the senses ever darkening the beauty and radiant splendor of their souls. Take it in context, I know that Father Arminian is not asserting that any of even the holiest saints led totally sinless lives. That gift of grace belongs to our Blessed Mother alone. But what about St. John the Baptist? What does sanctified in his mother's womb mean? And what, if any, difference is there in the gift of grace bestowed upon him as opposed to the other saints? Well, dear one, I told you I would take a look at that over the weekend, and I did. But the only thing so far I've been able to see, Sarah, is the uh, unanimous uh, thought that the church has not made a um, proclamation on that. It has not been declared by the church that John the Baptist uh, has never sinned. And so, uh, again, I can try to look far, further, and so can you. And if you find something, do write another email or call us. But it seems that the church has never proclaimed that John the Baptist was sinless. And um, my thought there of what it meant to be sanctified in his mother's womb is the same as we who are sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart, it means being made holy. Holy doesn't mean without sin. It means being set apart for God. As Jesus said to us in Matthew, you need to be holy as I uh, am holy uh, or as your father in heaven is holy. Well, we're not perfect as God, but holy, sanctified, means set apart from the world to God. And so as we are set apart from the world to God at our baptism and yet we still have the tendency to sin. St. John the Baptist was set apart in his mother's womb, and I think when Elizabeth said, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me, I think she was informed by her child in her womb, John the Baptist, that he leapt. I think it affirmed to Elizabeth that Mary was the mother of her Lord that she indeed was carrying the Christ, the Messiah, God himself, in her womb. Um, And she said, for when you came, the baby in my womb leapt. And so I think it was for the confirmation of Elizabeth, um, who held in her womb the forerunner to the Messiah, um, who would uh, announce to the world, prepare the way he'd be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, uh, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John's um, uh, baptism in his mother's womb and his birth six months before the birth of our Lord in Mary's womb was extremely significant. And so he was baptized as we are baptized through water and the word. Um, But whether he never sinned or not, um, I have not yet found a statement in the church that says so, um, or that says uh, for sure to the contrary, simply that the church has not made a statement on that. So he would have come from his mother's womb, um, uh, sanctified, set apart for God, but I do not know if that means that he did not have the stain of original sin. Um, he did have the stain of original sin. Only our blessed mother was free of that. Okay, that's the best I could do right now, Sarah. And anyone could do better. I invite you to write me or call in or, or send me a link to an article. I'd be very grateful. Um, Jen's email, which I said I would also look at uh, over the weekend, Jen says, when we say world without end, at the end of a prayer, What are we actually praying for? Of course, we know the world will end at some point. It just means forever and ever, perpetually. Um, Lasting for all time is what that is. Not past time, but um, world without end. Um, So without its ending. So while we're in the world, while we're in time, um, uh, that's what it means. Okay, world without end. Forever and ever, as long as... Uh, the world will not end, as long as the world exists, as long as there is time. Um, We have an email from Marie who says, Dear Mother Miriam, there have been times in my life when I feel quite sure that some presence, she puts presence in quotes, had protected me from serious harm. It happened again to me recently, and it really felt like one of those moments when people would say that their guardian angel was watching over them. I want to believe that I have a guardian angel. How do we know that such a being exists? Thank you, Marie. Marie, not only does such a being exist, but um, there is no soul that God creates that does not have a guardian angel. In fact, the Jewish people teach that every blade of grass has its own, our guardian angel. Every single soul that God has created has a guardian angel. And yes, I do think your guardian angel is trying to tap you on the head and say, "Hello, hello, hello, I'm here." I think so. Don't don't uh, doubt all that. You may not know some things for sure when you feel oppressed, but I think um, there are times I have sensed that. And something has happened and I immediately thank my guardian angel. Can I know everything in the um, spiritual world for sure? No, but I know we have guardian angels and they are very happy when we credit these things to them because they keep us from accidents, from death, from all kinds of things throughout our life more than we will ever know, at least this side of heaven. So yes, you do have a guardian angel, that's scripture. Uh, read the book of Hebrews, um, which is the book that spoke, speaks most about ministering spirits, which are the angels. There's also a little book written by can Publishers uh, called All About Angels. It's fabulous and um, it takes you through angels in Scripture and um, many things that the angels do for us on earth and many miracles with angels. So you can believe, believe that you are. Utterly, tremendously, wonderfully loved and protected by your guardian angel." Um, We have an email from Michael who says, "'Mother, I'm trying to convince my former grandfather, who is quite ill, that we should receive the sacrament of the sick, but he is very, quote, old school,' end quote." and thinks that receiving the sacrament means that he is about to die, can you help me convince him that it would be a good thing to receive and that it does not necessarily mean that his death is imminent? To begin with, if he's old school, call it the uh, sacrament of extreme unction. And if you can bring a priest, if you could bring a traditional priest to him, to explain that uh, whoever would give him the sacrament, um, but try to have it a, a traditional priest in a casket, call it the sacrament of extreme unction, um, and old school is truth today. Nothing has changed, and so the sacrament of unction, extreme unction, or of the sick is for those dying. But we do not have to wait to be dying in that state to receive that sacrament. Um, I received that sacrament from a priest a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not in a position of dying. I just have some um, uh, issues that uh, the priest thought it would be good to give me that sacrament. But I'm not dying. I'm living till 500, so that's. That's the truth. Um, in any case, um, try to do that. Also, look up Extreme Unction in the Catechism of Trent um, and um, see, look it up online and see the ride. I, I could take the time to do that now, but look it up online and um, see what you could read to him uh, again in the catechism and bring a good traditional priest in his cassock to your dad, to your grandfather. Because I don't blame your grandfather for um, not wanting to violate what the church teaches for his convenience. So I would take him very seriously. Um, we have an email from Tess who says Dear mother, I hope this finds you well. It does, Tess. Thank you. Disquieted by the Pope's new statement. And when I said, I am fine. No, oh, um, we all have certain things we live with in ailment. It doesn't mean we're dying. I'm not. Although we we begin dying as soon as we're born, right? I mean, uh, we begin aging. Um, but um, all is well with me. I'm absolutely fine, and um, I don't want to alarm anybody by telling you I had that sacrament. It, it's wise if you have certain issues or ailments or chronic situations, there's nothing wrong with asking a good holy priest to give you that sacrament. In this case, I didn't ask him. He just said, Mother, I'm going to do this. That's it. He's very, very determined, and and I love him for it. So all is well. All is well, everyone. So Tess writes, Dear Mother, I hope this finds you well. I am disquieted by the Pope's new statement that priests, at their discretion, can bless... Homosexual unions, this follows Amoris Laetitiae and his stance on divorce and remarried Catholics receiving Holy Communion. I would welcome your perspective, kind kind regards test, test. I know I've been called out for saying this before. It's complete heresy. What the Pope is saying is heresy. Um, Homosexual unions cannot be blessed. You could bless them, you could be the Pope himself, and you can put a blessing on them, but you're putting a curse on them. In scripture, actually, um, I'm trying to remember the word now, um, brucha is is a word for both blessing and cursing in, throughout scripture. Um, brucha, I, I have to look it up to be sh- to sure of the word, but it translated blessing and cursing, and the uh, trans, exact translation is based on the context. If one blesses same sex unions, he's putting a curse on those people because he is telling them to live in mortal sin. And he's putting a curse on them, not a blessing. You cannot bless homosexual unions so that they are okay before God. That is spiritual death. I'll continue with this when we come back to your test. And when we do come back, beloved, um, we'll have about 10 minutes. It'll be our last segment. So, again, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back.
0: Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one god. An atheist doesn't believe in any god. They're mutually exclusive terms. To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different
2: doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Brussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. The
0: Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of, but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments.
2: Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one. Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform.
0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by Life News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1 877 511 5483 or email her at Mother at the Station of the Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This
3: is our last
2: section.
3: Minutes and you are welcome to call in with anything on your heart whatsoever. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one four four eight three. Mother at the station of the cross dot com. Just before the break, we read a, an email from Tess who says, "Dear Mother, <coughs> I hope this finds you well. I'm disquieted by the Pope's new statement that priests, at their discretion, um, can bless homosexual unions." This follows the Morris of Dixier, and his stance on divorce and remarried Catholics receiving Holy Communion. I would welcome your perspective. That's my perspective. That's
0: perspective.
3: the Pope is saying is more true, it is not the teaching of the church, which has not in fact changed. Um, if uh, read Romans chapter one. If you bless the Pope doesn't matter who you are, if you bless a homosexual union you are cursing those people. You are leading them into grave, mortal sin. It is not blessed. It is cursed. And as far as um, divorce and remarried Catholics receiving Holy Communion without annulment and all of that, it's the same thing. You are cursing them. You are uh, leading them to commit mortal sin upon mortal sin. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whoever drinks or eats, the body and blood of our Lord unworthily um, brings condemnation upon Himself. So, um, the only reason that this is—it's it, immediately immediate heresy. It's evil, and the only reason it's been confusing to people is because it's coming from the Pope. Uh, I want to say Holy Father. Uh, if he is the Pope, he is the Holy Father. And again, holy doesn't mean he's without sin, but it means he's set apart. And he is set apart to guide, uh, guard, and uh, be a guardian of the faith and protect the sheep. And at the moment, his statements are scattering them in confusion and doing nothing but destroying the faith, were that possible. So, test both those statements, though they come from the Holy Father. Um, are absolute heresy. They are wrong and they are evil. Any time, not telling you the Holy Father's evil, but what he's saying is evil. Any time you leave lead a soul to hell or away from heaven, that's an absolute evil. There's no greater evil on the face of the earth, and there's no greater pleasure to the devil than doing his work, and that's what's happening here. Um, we have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, I saw a post on Twitter, slash, or, the Twitter is now X, where an individual stated that Bishop Strickland is a wolf in sheep's clothing and that celibacy is a discipline that can be changed. I'd love your thoughts on this. I also saw one post, maybe it's the same one where someone called Bishop Strickland a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I would say that whoever did that is Uh, a wolf himself or herself, Uh, at least um, they're not a sheep. At least they don't know the faith. If any bishop on the face of the earth is not a wolf in sheep's clothing, it's Bishop Strickland. Um, He is, um, his faith is pure. I'm going to tell that to you. His faith is pure. His heart is for God alone. Does that mean he's not a sinner? he would tell you himself. Of course, it does not mean that. Um, but all he cares about is souls. And um, he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing, but whoever wrote that article, which I saw, is absolutely fallen away from the faith if he ever had it. That same um, soul said, celibacy is a discipline that can be changed. Uh, that's correct, by the way. Celibacy is not a doctrine of the faith. It is a discipline on how to live the faith. Um, and the magisterium. Hold on. Excuse me. The magisterium has a right to invoke that discipline, just as for years prior to Vatican II, it was a discipline that we should not eat meat on Fridays. Um, That was a discipline, not a doctrine, and it was a discipline to help us to acknowledge Good Friday and the Lamb of God who died for us. And it was was a beautiful way for the church, who is our mother, to help us children of faith, children of the church, um, to recall every Friday the death that the Lamb of God uh, died for us. However, it found out that Catholics don't even didn't even know why they were refraining from meat on Friday, and um, and I was a waitress looking into the Catholic Church, and I served at a Catholic uh, I served as a waitress at a Catholic at a Catholic Italian restaurant, and I'd see Catholic families come in on a Friday night and order big lobster feasts. Well, they weren't eating meat, but they didn't get the point. The point is that we should sacrifice on Friday. So the church said we need to grow up. We need to grow our children up, and if they, for any reason, um, cannot sacrifice meat, maybe a vegetarian. You don't get to sacrifice. Of course not. You need to sacrifice something every Friday. You need to abstain from something. That's the point. And now people, since the church let down its discipline. On uh, meat on Fridays, which the U.S. bishops have asked us to continue uh, as penance for abortion, um, no one's doing anything. They're not even substituting it with another penance. So it's it's poor teaching on the part of the church. Um, it can be changed, but the discipline of penance on Friday, of giving something up every Friday, um, in remembrance of the Lamb of God who gave His all for us. And take it away. We have a call from Renee in New Hampshire. Are you on the line, Renee? I am. Thank you. You're welcome, sweetheart. Go ahead with your question. Well, um, in in addition to the uh, guardian angel, I was wondering, I had wondered for a while, um, I believe that I have a guardian angel and everybody does, but I'm, I'm wondering um, like the, uh, like the abortion. Um, uh, little kids are killed or women are abused. Um, and, but where is the guardian angel w- um, when that happens? There's a lot of violence and stuff like that towards children, neglect. Right. And, uh, yeah, so I was wondering about that. I'm going to give you the starkest answer I could. Their guardian angels, when they were aborted, were at the same place that our Lord's guardian angel was when he hung on the cross. Okay. Our guardian angels do not stop sin. They were with those children from the moment of conception, not just being birthed from their mother's womb, the very moment of conception, they had a guardian angel. Now, um, the evil that God allows... Um, Could the guardian angel Could have stopped it I have no idea About that But it doesn't mean They don't have A guardian angel They do Every single human being From the moment of conception Now again Why God allows Children to be murdered In their mother's womb Why he allows The innocent Look at Israel Right now Renee um, Millions of innocent Families Children being slaughtered by the thousands. Yeah, I thought
0: about that. Un-
3: yeah, I know it's unseen It doesn't mean they don't have they ha- don't have a guardian angel, but it means we're basically reaping what we sow, and God has given us free will to turn from Him. I, I don't know any other answer than that, sweetheart. Are you there? Yes. Yeah, no, thank you I very
0: much.
3: Oh, all right, Renee. Yeah. God bless you, sweetheart. And we'll speak to thank everyone you. tomorrow. Yeah, all right, bye-bye.